No Jumper, coolest podcast in the world. And today we have uh, somebody who I'm a huge fan of. <laughs> you are? Yeah, totally, man. Oh, cool. Mark of Softwater Underbelly. How you uh, doing? Nice to meet you, Adam. Yeah, so, okay, this is the, the thing I've been thinking about, is how when I first started doing podcasts, it was in downtown LA, 5th and Los Angeles. So oh, like, right by me. Basically on the edge of Skid Row. Yeah. And I used to always have people uh, comment, like, you should interview a homeless person. You should interview one of these guys who we see hanging out mm -hmm. outside of your house. Right. And I always thought, oh, that's a stupid idea. Nobody wants to see that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then one day I run across your channel and I'm like, wow, I really did not take those comments as seriously as I should. Like your, your channel in a lot of ways sort of like has taught me a lot about the value of having conversations with people who, you know, the outside world would probably assume don't really have anything useful to say. Yeah, I mean, people are people. Right. They really, the pe people are people. They're, they're just like, whether they're powerful and wealthy or whether they're down and out, they're still, there are still stories, you know, lessons to learn from everybody. 100%. Uh, you know, lessons to learn, like, what not to do. Totally. Maybe, more than what to do. And like we were just saying, there's a lot of, um, a lot of people that you interview operate in a way that the people I interview don't. They have nothing to lose. They just unload. They'll tell yeah, you the but, whole but, but fucking again, story. Not everything I do is about homeless people and drugs. Right, right, right. You, know, yeah. you know, sometimes it's sometimes <laughs> it's strippers and and uh, gang members. But but a lot of people feel unheard, and a lot of people once they make it into the rap world and stuff, they end up feeling very differently. They end up feeling like everybody already knows everything about me. I want to be very protective of what I'm putting out there into the world. And a lot a lot of times when you're interviewing, you know, a, a stripper or a prostitute or whatever it might be they probably don't really feel like they've ever had an opportunity where anyone cared that much to what, ask so what, much what about their life. What attracted me to what I'm doing is, is these people, they're not selling anything. Mm. They're, not try, they're not trying to further their career as a musician. They're not trying to, you know, maybe they're trying to convince you that their story is the truth and, and, and what their family did to them is, is, is not fair or something like that, but they're, they're really not, they're not, trying to promote anything right they're just telling their story and sometimes you can just feel that they're they're telling a, a, a version of the truth that's pretty close to what actually happened because anytime you tell us like if you talk told me about your childhood or back back in high school the way you're going to tell that story you're going to embellish mm. we all do that's human nature to tell your story and go yeah simple the gym teacher was 375 pounds <laughs> and he was six foot nine and you know that kind of when he was actually was like six foot one and he was, you know, 240 pounds. Right. Is, is that something that consider that concerns you is the amount of truth that's being told? Because I've seen you do interviews with people where they were talking about getting molested by their parents. And then they do another interview and they say all, all that shit was made up. Yeah. Well, I mean, some, you have to be able to read. Like, I'm, not, I'm not presenting these as these are sworn documents of the truth. Mm. <laughs> A lot of them are, are full blown lies or, or, there's a lot of lies mixed in. Right. But if you're at all able to interpret what's, what someone's when someone's lying, you know, like, when, like a, the best example is a prostitute who comes, you know, an older, a middle-aged prostitute who comes on and says, yeah, I'm, I'm 24 years old. <laughs> and I even, I, even, I even questioned her on that. Like, are you sure you're 24? And, and she goes, yeah. I'm like, okay, I'll let, I'll, let, I'll let that slide. And she just smiled. But you have to, you have to read through that because the way I see that is Here's a woman who's supporting herself as a prostitute, uh -huh. which means being young and beautiful is, 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 is her way to support herself. Other than that, she's down and out and homeless right. with nothing to sell. 
so you have to understand where she's coming from. She's, she's scared shitless that her only way of supporting herself is, is fading away. Right. So she's 24 years old out of fear. And if you, if you can read through that lie, you, 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 you get a, a glimpse into who, she's, who she is and what she's concerned about. Right. What she's scared of. Right. I've been watching this show on uh, Netflix called The No-Go so Zones. The, the lie, what I'm saying is the lies are kind of a part of the story. Right. I feel you. I, I've been watching this show, uh, The No-Go Zones, that basically will take you to like all the worst areas all over the world mm-hmm. and sort of show you a lot, of, a lot of drug selling and a lot of prostitutes and stuff like that. And it's, it was interesting because I watched like kind of the whole season of that. And then after I got done with that, I started watching a shitload of your stuff to get ready for this interview. And it occurred to me that like the, the main difference between a show like that and what you're doing is that you're just sort of allowing them to pick their narrative. You're not slotting them into, let's see what a prostitute's life in Cape Town is like. You're sort of just allowing them to run with whatever. And sometimes it feels like they want to tell you about the, the intimate details of their day-to-day work and sometimes they want to tell you about their childhood trauma that got them here but it seems like you you kind of rarely uh forcefully guide direct, that direct them i mean sometimes i'll ask who molested them or, or stuff like that which which i get a lot of flack for but um i, I really just want to learn you know that's really what i think is behind a lot of why i'm doing this is just i i, I like learning about mm-hmm. myself and about other humans and i think by understanding and learning you you just become better suited to deal with life and, and, and be happy. Definitely. That's all we really wanted is to be happy, right? Yeah. So if you understand of more of what's going on and why you're doing it and why other people are behaving the way they are, you, you, you've, you can calm down and just like, oh, I get why you're doing that. Not that you, it's not that you don't like me, it's that you're scared shitless of getting hurt. Definitely. Or I'm, I'm, being, I'm acting this way because I'm afraid of getting taken advantage of or something like that so did this all start with the photography part yeah, of yeah the- i'm a photographer i've always been since i was 14 it's all i've ever done and <clears throat> i had just finished a, a big project called create equal which took me like nine or ten years and i went to every state each of the lower 48 states and, and photographed everything from uh cowboys to astronauts to to repo men to ballerinas to there's a couple homeless drug addicts. There's, there's, all, there's everything in there. Just mm. everything that kind of exists in the United States. Amish people, everything. Nuns and prostitutes, everything. Um, and, and the idea was just to just, photograph just, normal it's people? It's a visual catalog of, of America, basically. And you spent 10 years? Yeah, 10 years. It cost me like half a million to do it. Because when I do these projects, I, I really invest. Like, what, whatever I care about, I, I invest. Like, cr- like I... <laughs> Without like much concern for what's coming back from that investment? Give, I'm not going to make money on it. Right. I mean, I actually did make a lot of money selling you know, some of the gallery shows when that, when that project finally came out and we did some gallery shows. I, I, I sold a lot of prints and I probably made that money back. But, but it wasn't about making money. Oh. It's about, I don't know what it's about, L- learning, doing what you love. Furthering the human species. <laughs> it's, it's like all these things. I mean, your soul is telling you what you want to be yeah, doing yeah, with yeah. your life. I mean, because I'm an advertising photographer. It's all I've ever done. Mm. You know, and I've I had these side projects that kind of kept me sane. Because if you just do advertising, you're selling a product. And it's hard to feel like your life and has meaning. And you're making it look, you know, with retouching and all that, we make things look better than they really are. And it's all perfect and, and homogenized and 
that gets under your that, that bugs you after a while mm. when you're do, when that's all you're doing. What am I doing? I'm helping corporations make money. I'm making Coca-Cola make more money. That's what I did with my life. You can make good money, and there's certainly a creative aspect to it. But ultimately, do you feel like that's a career that kind it, of it, it started becoming less creative mm. and more just like you're you're just a plumber installing a sink that the housewife. Because there's so much people. data at a certain point too. It, like these days with with advertising, I feel like there's there's a lot less. Oh, maybe this will sell a soda. No, it's like we have all this oh, data yeah, yeah. to base no. our and, decisions and, 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 on. And because everyone's afraid of losing their clients, the client gets to make all the creative decision, decisions, and the mm. client doesn't know how to make good creative decisions. So the industry has changed a lot, and I found myself less and less satisfied with that career. And I've been doing it my whole life, and I've got money saved up. I, I have it all invested in a house I'm building right now, but but I basically have money. I just don't have it at my disposal right now because it's tied up in the house. But So um, if I had my druthers to just do anything I wanted, I'm like, what would I do? And I just sat there for like a month or two and just sat like, what, what am I gonna do? Am I gonna become a real estate developer? Am I gonna, you know, work out a lot? Maybe I'll just work out a lot. <laughs> I don't know what I do, you know? It's like, what, what would I do if I had the freedom to do anything I wanted? And then it hit me at one point, oh yeah, I used to have that studio down on Skid Row. After I finished Create Equal, I got a studio down on Skid Row in LA and I just started doing portraits of, uh, of all the people that you see on my channel, a lot of them. Mm. And I, it was a really interesting project because those people are just such interesting characters. Mm. And at some point I started doing interviews of them when Canon came out with the first video, the first still camera that did videos. What year did you start interviewing that, that was like 2010. Oh, wow, okay, so that long you've been doing this? 2010 is when I do started oh, doing wow. this. okay. So it's been like uh, 11 years now. and. Uh, the first interview I did was a, was, a, was a prostitute heroin addict named Caroline, and it was so powerful. Really, in a way that you never thought photography could be, or I mean, I feel like a lot of photographers are uh, they don't want to give and say that video can be more powerful than photography. Well, but. yeah, I know that's a great question because uh, I like to think the photo is everything. I'm a photographer. I'm not. An, I'm not an interviewer. Mm. You're an interviewer. You're a much better interviewer than I am. I'm, I'm just a photographer, but I recognize after watching, after looking at Create Equal, you page through it with somebody else at a party, they're going through the book, and I'm like, God, I should have done interviews, I should have done, mm. an inter they want to know this, they want to know that, and I realized the portrait, is, is, as great as it is, I'm, I'm really proud of that, those portraits, you want, you want to know more, you want to hear what they speak like, you want to see how their body language, you know, how they move, mm. so many things, you, you learn so much more about somebody when you're hearing them speak, watching them do it, what they do. Yeah, so, so portraits about that instant. And, and it also can be very false. Mm. Like if you look at the, the, the thumbnail on my channel or, or you look at the portrait, oh, this guy's dignified and like I'm, I'm about- Those KKK <laughs> guys look a lot tougher than when you hear them talking. Yeah, you know, I mean, and they're I, all squatted up with all their guys yeah, I mean, and shit, and then you hear them talking, and you're like, this fucking yokel in a costume, yeah, so, so, what is he so, talking yeah, about? Exactly. So the photos can lie. <laughs> yeah. And the portrait, and the, you know, it's a different kind of lying than the, the lies you're talking about I earlier. just watched uh, Ron Jeremy, and man, he looked like he had, he had girls all over him in the thumbnail or whatever, and then you watch the interview, and it's just, you get a very different idea of what his real life might be like. Yeah, yeah. yeah especially now. No, but it's like, I, I, I started doing these portraits, and then I started doing interviews, and then I kind of, my life got turned upside down. The industry kind of changed and I lost my love for it. And, you know, digital technology took over. So everybody's a photographer mm. and that undermined my ability to charge what I did. 
and make the same money I used to. And then I got a divorce on top of it. And it's like every, my whole life, my whole table got turned upside down. It's like, <laughs> let me, let me just like, I, I put everything down for a while. Really? And then when everything kind of settled and I, back to what I was saying a couple minutes ago, I was like, so what, who am I? What do I want to do? And I decided, let, let me just, I really had a good time when I was down on Skid Row doing those crazy photos and even the interviews. Let me, let me start doing interviews and portraits down there again. And I, started I just got this I had to store all my furniture because I'm building this house like I said and I had four different storage units around the city I'm paying like a thousand here twelve hundred there a thousand here like I can save money if I just got a big space downtown somewhere off of Skid Row or near Skid Row or in Skid Row and I could probably find room to shoot these portraits and interviews in the front Mm. and that's exactly what I did and it's been I've I'm shooting every day now not necessarily always on Skid Row. Like last week, I was in Mississippi. I was in ta- uh, Tampa, Florida before that. I'm going to San Francisco as soon as we're done here. So it's not about Skid Row. It's, it's more about just the United States right? for me. Yeah. United States, or do you have international plans? No, I don't, I don't want to. I don't, if I start going international, then that means I, at some point I'm going to have to trudge through the forest of New Guinea, right. the jungle of New Guinea. And, and like, because I'm not going to just say, oh, I'm only going to do Europe and South America. I'm going to do the whole planet. Mm. And when I do things, I do them all out. But if, you're, out. if you do this for a few more decades, do you think there's any chance that you could kind of doing the Skid Row stuff could start to feel a little scale, uh, stale, oh, or yeah. even the USA? Could you oh, see yeah, yourself yeah, I, wanting I, to take it to yeah, yeah. No, like, I, to take any country? <laughs> yeah. Boom, that's another gigantic no, the, challenge. And you know there are great stories oh, yeah. in other countries. I mean, if I went to Africa, I could, I could do this in Africa, you know, I, I've, I've said many times I could do a whole, like self Fidel Underbelly, like a year ago was basically a Skid Row channel, right? Mm. 95% of the videos were shot on Skid Row. I always said I could do the exact same thing in Appalachia, mm. which I've done a bunch of interviews in Appalachia last year. And what, and what got you up there in particular? Uh, create Equal, I, I just went to every state and I, I got to know it and I know what's there. And I know those people are fascinating and they're so, they're wired so differently than the rest of the country. Right. The values they have are so different than the rest of us. Mm. They're beautiful people. You, like one of the things I learned from owning a store downtown uh, for all those years was don't talk to them, don't give them a dollar. <laughs> if you give them an inch, they're going to yeah. take a mile. Yeah. And there were other, and, and I'm not proud of this in retrospect because when I see your channel, it makes me actually realize like, wow. I think I actually missed out on a lot of the interactions that I could have had. But I mean, I was in the mind state where, you know, I would have a, a girl in town from a different state or whatever, and, and she would be giving money to a homeless person that's at the store. And I would tell her, listen, I know you are a nice person and you think that you're doing something nice. But if this, if they start to get the idea that this is a place where you could just get free money, then it's going to be a big problem for us. So I'm actually in the position of telling other people to be less kind for our benefit, because, yeah, you know, and, and, and to people who think that that sounds like I'm just kind of being an asshole. Like, I mean, this is very, very much like a daily, you know, fight for survival. It wasn't like I was just trying to be an asshole and suggest that everybody else be an asshole, but it just felt like for self-preservation that you kind of needed to keep that distance. They're they're trying to get their money for whatever their their thing is. And if they feel a little bit of weakness, then they're going to keep pushing on that spot. And you just seem like you... I don't know. Like, do you relate to what I just said? Or, oh, yeah, or, 100%. Okay. You know, 100%. Right. <laughs> like, this morning, I probably bled, I'll bet you I, I bled about $1,000 at least, $1,200. $1, Today? In that, yeah. 
How so? Who are you giving it out to? Everybody that comes up to me, and I have a hard time saying no. And when I do say no, they don't leave. So at some point, I'm paying them to leave, to just leave. Yeah, I think that, just leave me alone. I that was kind of what we were trying to avoid, too. I got a pack for going to the airport. I don't want to forget something, and I'm like, I'm, I'm in San Francisco, and I forgot this. I'm like, shit. You know, that, that's really tragic when I go to, like, Mississippi or, or Kentucky, where I can't even rent the equipment I need or buy it. I'm in the middle of nowhere. So I, I need, give me a half an hour to focus on what I'm doing. Don't interrupt me. Don't, don't knock on my door. Don't do anything. So I pay somebody to, like, stand out front and make sure nobody comes to me and interrupts me so I can just focus on packing up for my trip. Wow. Because if you come in five times... Five different people come in and they, hey, I just need 20 bucks. My kids are dying. I'm distracted. I can't remember what I was just thinking about. Oh, yeah. Oh, I need, I need the charging cord for this microphone. And I'm like, oh, so now I'm in Kentucky and I don't have the, the cord to charge this microphone that just died. Right. And that's because somebody just came to me and asked me for 20 bucks to save their, their whatever. So even when you're traveling, uh, what, word kind of travels that you are somebody who's not scared to help somebody out? Oh, yeah, for a while. After I went, I went to Memphis last uh, December. And for three, four months after I came back from Memphis, I was getting phone calls from pimps and prostitutes because that's all I interviewed on that trip. For months, every morning, I'd get, you know, they're two hours ahead of us. So I'd, get, I'd just, my phone would be. But they want money or they I'm, want. I'm a, I'm a white guy that peels off dollar bills for people. Right, but they want coverage. They want to be on the well, channel. I mean, like the, uh, the pimp and the, his prostitute both got arrested, so they were in jail. They needed somebody to get their bail out. Uh-huh. And sometimes I'll help I could, I could easily just say sorry no yeah and I, I do that I'm getting better at saying that but I also know that it, 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 if I go back to Memphis and I want to do more interviews there knowing that I bailed them out of jail is going to just open up some doors and they're going to help me and they're going to do what I want them to do so let's take that Memphis trip uh just for example when you show up there yeah. do you show up there with no plans do you show up with I show a up few there with nothing I know I knew no, nobody and then I mean, when no, there, there was a girl who contacted me and said I know all these people down there Wendy was her name, and she just just emailed me out of nowhere. She watches my channel and likes it, and said, "Hey, if you ever come to Memphis, I can help you out with some some interesting people." And I said, "Well, you know, I know Memphis is pretty well known for this kind of subculture. Do you know any people?" She said, "Oh yeah, I know lots of people." So she, we met with her, and she drove us around, and, and one thing led to another, and led, you know, one the, the, the one thing I learned is you make this contact. And you know, oh, great, I made this contact. But that contact knows four people. Mm. And then we meet those four people. And this one happens to be really good, and they know four other people. And it just spreads out like that. Right. Like, I went to Kentucky. I went to Appalachia, I think, six times last fall, last summer and fall. We started going, like, in September, like, August or September or something like that. And I would go back every few weeks, every month. First three trips, I got nothing. Nothing? Nothing. I went to Mississippi last week. Spent, you know, it cost me like seven, dollars $8,000 just to go to Mississippi. You know, the baggage alone is $450 each way. The airfare, the hotels, the rental car, the, 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 my assistant. Sometimes I bring an assistant to help me drive and carry bags. And, and then the people that I contact with and the people I interview, you add all that up, it's, it's close to $10,000. But why didn't you get anything? Because it wasn't interesting. Really? Yeah, it just wasn't interesting. You've had interviews here. I'm sure they're just... It just fell flat. We right? put them out anyway. You do? Honestly, <laughs> then, I, I don't. And then they get, uh, they, I, I, they I get only, judged harshly. I only, use, I only use about one out of five that I do. You do? Oh, yeah. Wow, that's interesting. I was wondering that. Yeah. Because I was thinking. I'm I've like, done 3,000, and there's only 700 on my channel. Ah, uh, okay. So there's a lot that you don't see. Because I was thinking that. I'm thinking and like. you never will. These are good, but there's got to be a lot of bad ones. I was, I was thinking that. I'm like, well, there's I mean, got to be so many more bad ones than good ones. Yeah, and yeah. I just sit through them all. Yeah. I'm, I'm beaten up by the end of the day. <laughs> Emotionally? Yeah. Really? It, be, it wears me out. How much pain can you listen to? Mm. 
how much pain can you listen to? Right. People get, people get on my back because, you know, you, she told you she had three kids, and then you asked her how many kids you had. Part of that is because I'm doing, I'm operating, you, you have a whole crew. How many people you got working here? About 10, right? Yeah, about 10. I've got nobody. It's just me. I'm operating, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not bitching. I'm just saying I'm, I'm operating two cameras. Yeah. The microphones. Uh, so the audio levels, the focus, the framing, the light, because I use natural light. I'm not using artificial light. I'm using natural light. So when a cloud goes behind the sun, I got to change, I got to adjust for like a stop or two on two cameras mm. at the same time. That's a lot to be doing while you're conducting an interview. Right. So f forgive me if I didn't catch that she had three kids. Yeah, I feel that. And she likes sure. nobody ever came back. And said, you already, I already answered that question. Nobody has ever said that. They, they're happy to talk about their kids. People get upset when their interview doesn't come out. No, no, I've never had anybody give me a hard time for it. Really, that's interesting. If I didn't drop a lot of, it's like even one percent of the interviews I do here. Oh my God, they'd be showing well, so up. So you're, you're dealing more with people that are like, yeah, concerned with fame a little bit. Yeah, right. I'm not. But I feel like a lot of those people still have a desire for fame, even if it's a different kind of fame. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. No, no, no one's ever came back. Hey, you never used my interview. I mean, I'm sure there are some people that are upset that I didn't, but it, it, it's got to be in interesting. Yeah. You know, it's got to be something like that I'm proud of, where I don't feel like the person's selling their. Like I have a lot of pimps. The pimps are the worst, where they come on and like, oh yeah, I'm I'm, I'm super interesting. Like, are you really? Yeah. And I'll take a chance, and they come on, and they're either telling a story of redemption. But it's not it's not like a compelling story of redemption. It's just like, hey, I'm a good guy now. Yeah. So you, you and, and you're in a position <laughs> or, or where they're selling their music. You then have to be basically kind of like judging their trauma or like well, not, not their your, trauma, your narrative. Like, is this a compelling narrative? And that kind of puts you in a weird spot. Yeah, too. I, I would be happy to post nothing but content of, of crack addicts that got, got clean and tell their stories. Right. But I found when I do that, I, I did some of those early on and, and they got like a, a, an eighth of the number of views as a train wreck story. Really? Yeah. So I'm not. I'm not necessarily doing things just for the views, but at some point you do need to get some views in, in order to like support. Yeah. You know, so you find when survive. somebody is a former heroin addict that that will get way more, or way less views than someone who is like presently yeah. clearly addicted yeah. to drugs. Oh yeah, and telling a hor horrific story and all that. And what does that not, tell not, you about not your that viewers? I'm like, people have called it pain porn. <laughs> I was thinking that yeah, literal yeah. term. I'm like, this is like pornography. I'm not sure exactly yeah. what kind, but pain, yeah. yeah. Somebody called it pain porn. That's a great term. Um, it's kind of like that. I mean, like when, when you're driving your home from work. Yeah. And there's a 16-year-old driver who's a, doing a great job, and he's using his directional. He's changing lanes properly. He's doing a great job. Do you want to watch that, or do you want to watch the, the head-on collision that the other 16-year-old had who, who was drunk? Right. You're going to stop and look at the, the wreck. You're going to not even look twice at the 16-year-old who's doing a great job. 100%. Um, it's human nature. I remember when I first started to take photos when I was in, like, 16 or some shit. I remember I took a photo of uh, like a homeless guy, and somebody told me the next day, they said, it's really trashy to take photos of homeless people because it's kind of like the lowest hanging fruit. It's trashy. They can't really consent to it. Etc. I'm sure you've probably heard those yeah. same arguments against photographing the homeless. Yep, I'm exploiting them. Yeah, how did you, I mean, I, I think when I see your portraits, I mean, it's very obvious to me that you're doing something that's a lot different and a lot better than your average person who just picks up a camera and they see a homeless person and they think, oh, that's an easy thing to take a photo of. Mm -hmm. Where do you fall on the considerations that you have to make yeah, in see, that regard? I, I treat everybody with respect. Mm. From the guy at your front door who greeted me to you to... 
the president to everybody. I treat everybody equally the same. Like, I don't treat a homeless person differently than I would treat Obama, who I loved. Mm. You know, I would treat them both the exact same way. Not different in any way. Like, if if I was interviewing a homeless crack addict or or the president of the United States, I would treat them the exact same way. Mm. So I, I treat everybody the same. So if I'm doing that, I'm, am I exploiting them? I'm, I'm not sure I am. They're agreeing to it. Most of these people come to me now. Mm. I'm not coming to them. Hey, do an interview with him, please. Do it. They all come to me, and they all want to come back a second, third, fourth time. Mm. Yes, I'm paying them money, but, but I bet you they would do it if I didn't pay them money. But I believe time is worth money, so I pay people money regardless of whether they want it or not. The only people that <laughs> really refuse money are the Appalachians. Really? They Why won't take that? money. Most of them won't take money. Well, they're probably like the most needing of they it probably, as well, Yeah, right? they're the poorest. It's interesting. They're the, it's the poorest part of the country where I go. The counties that I go in, in Kentucky and West Virginia are the poorest in the, the country. And unless they have a drug addiction, which some of them do now, a lot of you know, drugs are pretty bad there. But the ones who, who don't, just drink moonshine maybe, you know, they don't really have a serious addiction problem, they just jump back when I pull out you know, money. I can't, I can't take that. <laughs> like, like, I'm, like I'm some kind of jerk. Really? Yeah. That's so interesting. It's, it's just that they're raised a certain way. Mm. They, you know, they, they believe their stories are, are something they want to share, and that's it. It's not about paying money for it. And I'm not paying for their stories. I, I believe I'm just paying you for your time. Right. You know, you, you, you sat with me for 20 minutes and told me your story. Thank you for doing that. And here's something just for sitting with me and telling me your story. Right. You know, it's more about the time and the, and the effort and the distraction from their busy life. I, I think that <laughs> which is not so busy. helps to simplify the, uh, the exchange as well in a way, because it's kind of like, you know, when, when people even when people come in here and, you know, I, I have uh, some contemporaries who will sometimes like pay their guests. And they've told me that once they start paying the guests. They show up on time. They don't cancel. Well, they, see, see that, it makes the whole thing a little bit more consensual well, I, where both sides benefit. That, that, you know? that's that's no one's ever mentioned that, but that's a huge part of why I do it. Because like when I was doing Create Equal, which was just portraits, no interviews, I want, like if I'm going to fly to Wyoming to shoot a cowboy that I've, you know, my scout already found a photo of and I, and I want to photograph him, I want to make sure he's going to show up. Mm. So if I'm going to pay him $500 to show up, he's going to be there. But if I don't pay him $500, I'm just going to take his fit photo. I'm going to fly all the way to Wyoming, and he's not going to show up. And I'm like, now what do we do? Mm. So by so it's, scout? It's, 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 my time is very valuable. I don't, scout, I don't want my time wasted. You sort of just have people around the country that you'll just be in communication with, and they'll sort of no, throw I ideas to you? No, I don't have a lot of scouts. Like, okay. like, like, like for, for, <clears throat> for that project, when I was looking for cowboys or ranchers up in Wyoming and Montana, I had somebody who worked at one of these ranches. And I said, could you photograph some of, the, some of the guys that work on the ranch and just send me photos, and then I'll see if I want to photograph these guys. And that's what I'm calling a scout. Hmm. I just connected with somebody that knew somebody that knew somebody. So I call it a scout, but it's really just a coworker or a friend, and, and they sent me some photos of some of the guys, and I'm like, oh, he's, he'd be a great photo. Hmm. Now, an interview is a whole other thing, because I've had people that I've, fl- I've flown across the country for because they look so great, and then they can't tell their story, and then it's like, fuck, hmm. what a waste of time. That's interesting. That a lot. The desire to not put out the episodes that you don't like, even though, is that out of respect for who? The audience? Because I feel like the audience a lot of times kind of wants to hear the story from the no, person I mean, sure, who's the I'm most sure, out there. I'm right? sure if you ask my viewers if they want to see all 3,000 interviews, they'd say yes. But if I, if I posted everything that I did, I don't think I'd have the same audience I do. Mm. 
So you have, you have to understand, like, you know, the quality of what you put out is, is going to affect everything you do. There has to be a respect for the overall quality of the channel. You just, you don't want people to feel like, oh, maybe if I click this video, it's going to be horrible. Well, you, see, I, what, I, what, one of the things I realized early on when I did this, you know, I, I could title these, mm. you know, something like, you know, a lot of these stories are about having sex with my dad, you know, because mm. a lot of these women have, right? I could, t I could use that in the title somehow. Mm. You know, I, see, I see YouTube videos that have these kind of titles. Like when I, when I, when I title a video homeless woman, I want to do that knowing that my viewers who, who know my channel will know that a video titled homeless woman interview is worth watching. Yeah. It's not just a woman talking, yeah, I don't have a house. Mm. Yeah. So there's usually something to it that makes it worth watching. Because I feel like what you do is the kind of thing that opens you up to so much criticism of what you're doing. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, maybe I'm just sort of in a bubble where I'm just a, a fan. But it doesn't seem like you really get as much hate for it as I think a lot of people would. And I think a lot of it is the aesthetic decisions when you have this beautiful photograph for the for the photo and you don't have you trying to like really sort of lay the narrative out for them very often. You don't have the salacious titles again. I feel like all that stuff kind of insulates you against a lot well, of the clickbait stuff really causes people to judge you very, very harshly. Yeah. And I, and I get, a, I'm, I'm guilty of a little bit of clickbaity cause I could title my sex worker videos, you know, sex, sex worker interview. Right. But I don't, I title it prostitute or escort or stripper mm. strippers, you know, not the most PC term in the world, nor is prostitute, but sex worker is the, the vaguest term ever. Yeah. You know, a pimp is a sex worker. Right. A masseuse can be a sex worker. What, is she a moose, masseuse? Or is she, like, so I, I want to have a little bit of, you know, descriptive, you know, I, I want, I want a little bit of the detail so you know what you're going to watch. But you know, I, th I think the viewers who really know, if, if you watch a, a lot of my videos, you need to watch a lot. There's 750 on there now. Mm. But if you, if, if you go through them, I can't, I can't save all 3,000 people I've interviewed. And it wouldn't just be the 3,000 I interviewed. What about the other 30,000 that are out there that I didn't interview? Mm. They don't get help because why? Because I, chose, because I didn't meet them yet? So I can't save everybody. But I do help a lot of the people I interview in different ways. Sometimes I'm just peeling off money to people like I did this morning. Sometimes I'm paying people's, you know, for people that really are showing signs of wanting to get out of their lifestyle. I'll, I'll buy them a car. I'll, I'll, I'll give them housing. I'll pay for their expenses for a month or three so they can get their shit together, get a job, and then they're hopefully, <laughs> hopefully... Uh, on their way to be self-sufficient. That really happens, though. That's what I'm learning. Because a lot of homeless people... It's kind of a, we think of homeless people as just being homeless people forever. Well, I'm, I'm not always talking about homeless people. I'm, right. I'm talking more about like sex workers or something like that. Right. But they're, they're a little more capable of. But like drug addicts, homeless, <laughs> homeless people, we, we always tend to assume that they're just going to be like that forever when you see somebody on the side of the street. But I think that the truth is, is that this is kind of like a transitionary state for a lot of people that mm -hmm. they might be homeless for a while. And then at some point somebody I've, I've helps them of, out I've and they get past I've met a lot of people who were that. at one point homeless and then they got their lives together. So. Right. But I mean, the problem is not drug addiction. The problem is not homelessness. The problem is uh, mental health. Yeah. It really is. And people are starting to understand that a little bit. <clears throat> There's a great video I just shot. Some of my favorite videos are the ones I shoot with Monica, who works for the Patrick Katie Foundation. And she's so informed about all this stuff. And she's just so intelligent. And she speaks so beautifully about 
what it's like to help these people and how it goes down and how, what the problems are in society, why, why it doesn't work out, why we're not doing our part, you know. And uh, we, we did that this morning, actually. And she, she and I spoke about how it's, it's mental health, mm. not drugs. Drugs are just a symptom of the problem. Now, drugs can exacerbate and maybe even cause like schizophrenia or some of the other mental conditions that you see. But there's some, it's like there's some, something was broken first for the person to say, yeah, let me try heroin mm. at 16 years old. Yeah, that's something I've definitely seen from watching enough of your videos is that, I mean, this is just a Band-Aid that people try to put on their mental illness. Like It's almost like 100%. Like, very, very rarely that you see somebody who's a drug addict that doesn't have childhood trauma that they're trying to Yeah, I mean, every, every, every single one of my videos could be like mentally ill person. Yeah. You know, like every single video. Including my, you know, if I, you know, I'm mentally ill. We're all mentally ill in one way mm. or another. And you interview a lot of people who I think a lot of people would not be able to get away with interviewing, like the Klan stuff. Like, yeah. I mean, if I did a podcast with the Klan, it would be. Or, or a sex offender, a child molester. It, exactly. I mean, a lot of that stuff, people would be like, why the fuck are you giving voice to someone who is yeah, yeah, abhorrent? Those, those, those are, I, I, I can't even read the comments anymore. Mm. I mean, the, the majority of my commenters are supportive and say really kind things and i love that and that's that's great and most of my audience is really evolved and intelligent mm. but there's a portion of my audience <laughs> that that just just hates and uh hates what i do and just hates in general hates the interviewee hates hates life hates themselves really is what it truly boils down to if you mm. really peel away the peel away the layers you'll see that the person really just hates themselves so that's why they're lashing out against this prostitute or this homeless person or this drug addict or whatever. But it's it's uh, you know my my most of my audience is intelligent and, and supports what I do, mm. and they under they, they understand that I do help when I can because there, there's there's people who are like you know, like Jerry and you know Rita and a lot. I mean I can't even count them count them all. There's so many people that I support on a daily basis, and, and you know, in, in major ways sometimes. But I don't want to make I don't want to make my channel about a help channel. The mm -hmm. purpose of my videos is is to prevent these things from happening. So if I if I start becoming this Jesus figure who's helping everybody, that it's going to be entertainment, mm -hmm. and that's not what I want. You know, I, I just want people. I, I want I want to learn, and I want maybe the audience to learn how these things happen, so that we can protect it from our but so when you kids' you, futures. You just said. These stories are cautionary tales. Mm -hmm. Does everybody on the channel have to basically be somebody who's no, been no, no. through hell or, or is a bad person? No, no, no. Because what, what's the standard? No, I or, mean just interesting, really. Yeah. You know, because like Ruby Baker, who I interviewed from Kentucky, it's the most inspirational, you know, beautiful old woman you could ever find. Mm. And there's no trauma. There's no, you know, or I think she lost a child or something, but. She had a lot of kids. So it's a beautiful story. Mm. And people love that video. So it's not about a bunch of trauma, you know. A lot of people that I've interviewed are just cool and interesting. Right. And maybe they come from a tough childhood or a tough life, came from the streets, but, you know, like Sharp, who's a, a, a pimp that I've interviewed several times. He and I speak privately, you know, just on the phone a lot. And he, he's just an interesting cat. He's just an interesting dude. Right. He's charismatic as, as any anybody you'll ever find. Women love him or they hate him, and the men love him or hate him. <laughs> and I tell him all the time, it's like the reason that you're so uh, 
magnetic and, and people react to you so strongly. It's, it's, it's like half the, uh, a portion of the audience hates you, thinks you're an exploitive like, bastard that beats your women, and the other half think you're like the you know, next best, you should run for president. Right. You know? And he, he, you know, and I get the same kind of crap sometimes where people are like, oh, you're, you're an exploited bastard, and you know, oh, you're an angel that's helping all these people and moving society forward in, in a positive way. I'm both, and I'm neither, and I'm some mix in the, of, of all of these put together, just as he is. You know, yes, he's a pimp, <laughs> but 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 I've talked with his girls, and, and they're they're cool, they're happy, they're not. I don't sense anything other than a nice relationship, right? Not a, not a, not a conventional relationship, but it you know, I, you know, I, I don't think I'd be, you know, the the simplistic view that I am uh, giving. Sex offenders, clansmen, and pimps. A voice is a very—it's a very small-minded way of looking at it. I'm—I'm I'm just showing us as a society what exists and how these subcultures came to be and and how they operate and how they think. I'm not saying anybody's good or bad. Right. You know, if you notice, like the sex offender, like I, I certainly don't condone molesting a child. If right. anybody thinks I do, then you're just, you're just not smart enough to watch my channel. But. Um, I'm just, I know that if I listen to your story, you're going to tell me more mm. than if I go, you're a creep. Tell me your story. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? It's like, you're not going to tell me anything. No, because I've seen a video of yours that was titled, you I've know. seen interviews with the Klansman, and, and, the, and the interviewer is just like, you can just feel right. the hatred before he even says hi. Right. Okay. So do you know who Nick Cannon is? He's an actor and rapper and whatnot. No, I don't. Super famous, rich, et cetera. Um, and he at one point interviewed Richard Spencer, who's probably the world, the, the America's most well-known white supremacist, I guess, at this point. Okay. And um, he's a very, very slick communicator. You know, he wears the suits, and he's, he's very, very well-spoken. He's smart, but then at the end of the day, his agenda is basically white power. And I saw that Nick Cannon interviewed him, and I immediately thought in my head, that's not coming out. Because I, the, the thing that I knew as soon as I saw it is I know that they're going to get along too well. And oh, I know wow. that the video is going to expose the fact that they have more in common than oh. anybody is going to want to admit, just in the <clears> sense <throat> that I think that this whole white power ideology, if it was coming from the mouth of some other groups, it wouldn't really sound as offensive. And I was right. The video never came out mm. because I just th there's something different about doing a podcast where you have two people kind of getting along. And at a certain point, somebody in that whole corporate world that he's in is going to say, we can't put out a video with you getting, getting along. along this well yeah. with a white supremacist. That, that, I think that's a benefit to what you do, though, is you get out of the way so much. Yeah. The Klansman gets to sort of go off, and you don't really seem like no, you're I'll, a real like participant that, that, in this, right? That's why I say I'm not, I'm not an interviewer. Hmm. All I'm trying to do is get everyone to do what Johnny, the gang member that I interviewed a lot, or Eric, a former crack addict that I interviewed a lot, or Lewis, the alcoholic that I interviewed. Those guys just tell a story. If you hmm. notice, I don't even say anything. I don't say... Hey Eric, how's it going? Tell me your story. I don't say anything. I just go, mm. and I sit back for thirty minutes or forty-five minutes, and then they tell me they're done, and I turn off the camera. I never said a word in most of those videos, and that's my ideal. That's how I'd like every single one of my videos to go. But I can't. I need to ask you where you're from, mm. just to get the conversation going. And then sometimes it takes off, and other times I need to coax it out of them every every step of the way. But it's interesting, too, because you, you know, they know that if they don't talk, then what the fuck are you sitting here for? So they just start talking. Yeah, I, I was so lucky that I've met people like the, the guys I just mentioned. And there's some women, too. 
they're just great storytellers. Mm. They're just great. St- I mean, who knew? <laughs> you're like, man, you're, you're the best speaker I've ever heard. You know, Eric especially. And that's something I will notice when I, you know, I spend a lot of time around, you know, quote unquote, important people interviewing people that, you know, have, have done something with their lives. It's quite important that they have to talk about. And I notice that a lot of times those people are quite guarded. You know, like I certainly don't walk into a room with a bunch of normal people and just start telling them my life story. I don't start telling them like, what about this famous rapper I interviewed this week? This is how much money I made off this YouTube video. I don't do that because I've kind of like accomplished enough in my life that I don't really feel the need to walk into a room and start announcing what I've done. But I notice that when I hang out with people who are very much more, you know, ground floor in their lives, that I'll go hang out with some guy and he'll he'll start telling me about his job as an electrician like he's the fucking you know like it's the most interesting thing on earth he's just he's used to that of just sort of making content by just talking about his experiences and I find that very very fascinating because a lot of the most accomplished people I know have like no outer monologue that they're constantly presenting but normal salt of the earth people that's like a very normal thing for them is they they'll walk into a room and just start talking about their lives mm-hmm. in a way that you know rich and famous people a lot of times don't yeah i mean what, what, what i believe and and sometimes i follow it and sometimes I, I break my rule but nothing is more powerful than if i find out that you have accomplishments that you're not telling me about mm. but i find out through the grapevine or just some weird way i found out that you went to harvard and you were recruited by the the Clippers to play in the NBA, but you passed up on it. You know, like you're not telling me how cool you are, or how great a basketball player you were, or, or how smart you are. I just happened to have found out through somebody that knew you, or went to school with you, or or, or, or played basketball, or whatever. And you like, wow, really, <laughs> Adam? Really? He he was. So if you're not selling it, it's a hundred times, a thousand times more powerful and significant than than if you tell me how great you are. Mm. You know, if you're telling me how great you are, it's like, yeah, okay. You know, but if you find out that you're great or have wonderful qualities or accomplishments, it just, but you weren't telling me about it, you're just a dude. You're, where is it one on one? Two people talking? I heard, some, all the difference I heard somebody say this the other day. They said that people are so, one of the, the number one things you hear people talk about when you ask somebody, how are you doing? Oh, I'm so busy. And that's just like so consistent. Yeah. You know, poor people, rich people. <laughs> Everybody wants to tell you how busy they are. Me too. And they said, think about what people are really telling you when they say that they're busy. They would never sit there in the conversation and tell you, I'm extremely in demand. But that's what you really are saying when you say you're, you're busy. And, you know, you're sort of letting people know in advance, I don't have that much time to offer. So really, even this right here, me you talking to you, this is quite valuable. That's yeah. like really what people are saying when they say they're busy. And people feel very comfortable saying that. But they won't say what they're actually trying to communicate there, which because oh. I've and, and that made so much sense to me because for the last few years, I've really always found myself kind of annoyed by people who talk about how busy they are, mm-hmm. in part because I know that when I was 10 times less busy than I am now, I was still telling people I was busy. So I'm, I'm kind of like, I don't really believe my own shit that much in that regard, because I know that I was telling people I was busy 10 years ago when I really didn't have shit going on compared to now. Yeah, I, was, I mean, for, for me, the reason that my life gets difficult lately as my channel gets bigger and bigger, there's so many, I'm being pulled in so many different directions. Mm. Like every, every day I wake up to 30 messages from people whose lives are in crisis and they need me to save them. Mm. That just drains you after a while. Every day, 
Saturday, Sunday, I don't get a break every single day, all day long. And then there's all the, you know, I'm trying to make things happen, which mm -hmm. is totally separate. And then there's my other career, which is really first priority over all this BS that I'm going through. And then when, when I'm doing both at the same time, it just, it just becomes impossible. Mm. And I just want to like <laughs> turn off my phones for a week and just disappear. At some point, do you just have to ignore some, some emails or? or well, like, like, I'll, I'll, like emailing me is, is next to impossible now. Mm. You know, I, I had one email address or two actually. And they quickly became like out of control. So I got a second. That got over. So not, now I have like five or six different email addresses and I can't really deal with any of them. Wow. Because I get so many people saying, you need to interview me and, and you need to help this person. And, and I'm the cousin of this guy who you, times 3,000 people. 3,000 interviews are all getting, not, not, not every one of them, but I'm, I'm getting pulled in all these different directions by people who said, I, I want to reach out to save this person. I want to do this. I want to do that. I'm one dude. Yeah. I'm just one dude. I don't have a team behind me. I don't have the money to, to, to pay a team. If I was making a shit ton of money, I would hire, I would hire the team of people. And let, here, this, handle this email. But I, I have to do it myself. And if I, if I never got any emails, this channel takes up so much of my time. Mm. You, know. you could probably go in like a more business first direction. But it seems like that really doesn't appeal to you. Like, if, if you started to treat it like more of a business, if you started to really want to maximize yeah, like selling profits merchandise and all that kind of stuff, I mean, all, all these people, kind of things that are available. Yeah, to I don't you. even know if selling merchandise is the answer, but I, I'll probably start doing that soon, just just because people want T-shirts. I've I've heard this, all these people selling fake soft white underbelly T-shirts now. Okay. Yeah, you know, like there's fake TikTok accounts with my channel. All my videos, I I paid to create them, but somebody else has created a TikTok channel with all my videos, and and I guess you can make money on TikTok. Somehow, I don't yeah, know. I'm we haven't sure. really got there yet. I don't know. Any, I don't know anything about social media, but, but it's just like it's, it's 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 overwhelming. Does that me. bother you, or do you feel like your content is kind of like public domain? Like no, once no, you no, do no. it, people no, can... it bothers the hell out of okay. me. Okay, I'm human. Yeah, but what am I going to do about it? Mm. Call Mr. TikTok and say, ask him to take that down. You could, you could definitely have it removed for right. copyright. Hey, that's a good question, yeah, but there's, there's, no, there's got to be a way. It's not a good question. <laughs> It's a question I've been wrestling with for six months. Okay. Trying to get that channel to t get taken down. But oh, you wow. can't try to contact YouTube. I mean, this, uh, what we just talked about. Susan is here right now, yeah. Um, I just got an email this morning, coincidentally, from YouTube, offering me a, uh, what, what's it called? Partner manager. Mm -hmm. So that might help me with YouTube. But right. that doesn't help me with TikTok and Instagram and all these other things that are using my... Yeah, how hospitable do you consider YouTube to be as a platform? You, you, you not only get videos age-restricted and demonetized, but you get stuff removed as well, I'm assuming? I've had some removed. I get a lot that are demonetized. Not, it's, not, it's not all or nothing. People seem to think, oh, all Mark's videos are demonetized. That's not the, that's not the case. It's only certain ones. Mm. But in general, I believe YouTube supports what I'm doing, and, and is, is, YouTube's been really good to me. Mm. So I'm not, I'm not angry at YouTube. But all I'm saying is I kinda, my, my stuff is educational. Mm. It's not porn. You know, when I, when I do an interview of a, a prostitute, the spirit behind it is, let's find out how this girl got into this career, why she's like this. This is, I believe it's probably not an ideal career for a young woman. <clears throat> I'm glad, I'm, if, if she's happy, I'm happy for her, but, but prostitutes and, and porn stars, I, I don't know that it's an ideal career for a woman. Mm -hmm. I really don't. So what I'm doing is just showing you how they got there. I'm not saying it's good or bad, you notice I don't say that, oh, porn is bad. I mean, very rarely do I make judgments like that. I've only done it like a handful of times in all my interviews. But the spirit behind what I'm doing is to educate. 
yet sometimes my work gets treated like it's porn. Mm. And if you really watch my, my interviews, you'll see that it's, it's, it's pretty educational. And YouTube, 99% of the time, treats it like that. But every, like if, if a video is titled Prostitute Interview, it's very hard for me to get it monetized. Mm. Sometimes they do, which makes no sense to me, but, but usually they don't. Like, I, like this week, I think I've got three or four prostitute interviews, and they're all demonetized. I think one got monetized. Somehow. And the thing that really kills you isn't the fact that it's not monetized. It's the fact that the views stop coming in. And so you could have a video doing extremely well, and then it gets demonetized, and boom, it just flatlines and doesn't get any more views. Do you have, yeah, that problem as well. Oh, I, I, have no, I don't really pay too much attention to all that. Because oh, that's what I'll notice is that when it turns from green to yellow and they turn off the ads, then they also kind of turn off the suggested oh, video really? thing. See, so I'm, I, I'm not... the views will just plummet. And that's what hurts. It's like, listen, you, you keep the money, but let me keep getting all the fucking views on this so I at least know that it made the impact that it could have or okay, should have. I, I know very little about YouTube mm. and social media. Okay. But I, I believe you, I mean, I, my channel is, what I got like 2 million subscribers now. That wouldn't be the case if YouTube didn't support what I'm doing and promote it. Mm. So I believe they're, they're generally good to me, but they have to do what they have to do. Mm. You know, if somebody says, oh, the, you know, Lynn talked about suicide, you got to take that down. You know, it's going to trigger people. What are they going to do? Now? No, we're going to leave it up. So they have to take it down. So it's probably a viewer that was upset about Lynn, this girl that was a crystal meth addict that I interviewed her first interview, she talked about suicide. She didn't commit suicide, and she's threatened suicide a thousand times, but she's never ever gonna do it, I don't believe. But she talked about it, and it got deleted uh, like two weeks ago. Ooh, just because she was talking about doing it? Yeah, or, you but know. If, you're gonna talk, if you're gonna start deleting videos because someone talked about suicide, that's a quarter of my videos, right. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. So I'm not sure if that's, I, th I think it's a viewer who got upset because it's a powerful, Lynn's first video is, is very powerful because she's so, so like troubled and so just full of angst that it triggered somebody and they reported it and it got t deleted. Mm. So that's, that's gone. That's unfortunate. Yeah. That's what, that's what my Patreon channel is for. You want nudity, you want all the rawest content, you go to Patreon and pay $10 a month and you can get that. Oh, okay. So is that doing pretty well? No. No. <laughs> We're no, about I, to I, launch I, ours. Hopefully, I, I don't promote it. Right. You, oh, okay. You know, I don't promote it. I just put it up, and I, I did a video a year and a half ago, or whatever it was, and I, when I started it, and that's all I've ever really done. Mm. I have a little thing at the very end of my videos saying I have a Patreon channel, but people don't watch the ends of my videos, so mm. they only watch the first eight minutes, and then they, they then they bail. I feel bad when I miss like the last ten minutes. You know, I'll be watching a forty-five minute one, and sort of, you know, I'll notice myself skipping to the next one when there's like eight minutes left, and I'll be thinking like. Am I missing, like, this? maybe there's a really good ender to that one. Yeah, sometimes, I mean, like, uh, I did one this morning that I thought was, uh, I, I probably wasn't going to use it. And then the gentleman told me, like, I asked him, like, you know, how do you, do you think if your childhood was different, if, it, you know, it may have been a, you know, taken your life in a different direction? He goes, well, when I got molested, it, <laughs> like, oh, you know, so then it became, it became more interesting again. Mm. I noticed there's like almost <clears throat> trends with your content. Like you'll just get interested in something and then yeah. there'll be a bunch of stuff about that, like the nudist thing. Like, is that? Well, no, it's because I took a trip to Tampa where there are all right. these nudist resorts. So that's why you got an influx of uh, like a whole bunch of uh, nudist and swinger videos. I'm going to be going back there um, at the end of the month. Where did that, because uh, that's not something I ever would have thought is something that would make sense on your channel. Oh, but see, no, see, if, if you really understand my channel, which which is, it can be very, uh, it's, it's my fault because I did so many videos on Skid Row that people thought it was a mm. drug addiction Skid Row channel, mm. and it is not. Okay. And if you're coming here just for drug addict stories, you're going to be disappointed. Mm. Because, like when I sell that house next year, I'll have money to really do what I want to do with this channel. You'll, you'll still see some drug addict stories, but you're going to see 
you know, cowboys and you're going to see Amish people and you'll see, you know, you see all kinds of different subcultures across the country. And they're all going to be interesting, mm. but they're not all drug addict stories. The only reason you see so many drug addict stories is because Skid Row is half an hour from my house. And it's full of a lot I, of the I, worst stories you ever no, heard. No, I mean, finding, yeah. as you, I'm sure, know, finding interesting content is the biggest challenge. Mm. If I go to Skid Row, I don't have to even think about it. I just go down there and I find gold all the time, every day. I right. found one of the best interviews I've done all year this morning really? with a woman who was sex trafficked since she was a little kid. Oh, wow. Clover. When I um, when people used to always ask me to interview uh, people on the street or whatever, a lot of the the first thing that would come to mind for me would be if someone's on the street smoking crack, doing heroin, meth, whatever, are they really able to consent to being on camera? Yeah, that's a great question. Too. How often does that weigh into your decision about putting these people on camera? And a lot of times, I feel like they're at some level of sobriety. Like maybe they've—they're uh, not like actually on drugs at the moment that I, you're I, interviewing. I've had, you know, of all the interviews I've done, I've, I've had two, where the, in one case, the family of a crack addict, and he wanted me to keep his video up, mm. but his family and friends contacted me, his friends mainly, and said, "Look, you got to take that down." He's, he's got a respected career, and, and you're making him look like he's, you know, they were really polite about it. They, were, they weren't aggressive. They were just like, can you take that down? Because it's going to ruin his career. And I, I don't want to ruin anyone's career, so I took it down. Right. But then I saw him, like, a couple of days later. He goes, you took that down? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, I wish you hadn't. And, th and then I'm like, you know, so he wants it up. But, but it was an interesting video because it's, really, it's a really intelligent talk about being on Skid Row uh -huh. rather than just a... You know, he's a white guy, he's accomplished, he was a musician, he was respected, he, he had a great life, but he, he chose the street life, at least temporarily at this point in his life, and it was, I thought it was really a, a deep, interesting talk, but it, it's gone now. Mm. I think it exists on Patreon, but, but it's gone from my YouTube channel. Uh, and the other one was a guy who was so fascinating, <laughs> but he was, he was clearly high. And I, I, and I normally don't do interviews with people who are high, but he was just so fascinating and interesting and beautiful. He was a beautiful, you know, physically beautiful person. You know, Sean. I think he's on. They all still exist on my Patreon channel. Right. That's a reason to go to Patreon. But um, I just thought he was just so, like, interesting to look at and listen to. He spoke beautifully about how much he loved his dad, and it was it was a great talk. But his, his family called me and says, you got to take that down. He looks like an asshole. Right. <laughs> like, so, so I did. But that's a weird decision because it's like if he was down to do it, like who, who is the family necessarily to tell no, me no, what he, narrative no, in, should in be being put case, out In that case, even there, he know? called me up and says, yeah, I, I was so high. I, I, didn't, oh, okay. I look stupid. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I have his number. I may, I may do another one later. But typically, you can't recreate magic. You know, it worked that time because it worked. You try to recreate it. it 99% of the time it falls flat. And that's a lot, the whole thing with drug addicts too is that a lot of times you will get, there, there might be 10 different versions to their personality that you might get in an interview. You might get multiple different versions of their personality in one interview because yeah. they might be like still sort of high and then it's the adrenaline sort of wears off midway through the interview. All of a sudden they're, they're kind of drowsy. And, yeah, no, but I mean, I've had people fall asleep in the middle of an interview. Yeah. Had it happened this morning. Because you're so not in control of like where you're at in your, yeah. your energy. No, but back to your original question about whether it's okay to, you, know, you don't really have their consent if they're high. Look, what, what I do is, is pushing the limits of what's um, appropriate or, or, or 
or right, you know? I, I push the limits all the time. Like, like the stuff I do is like, I, I really thought my channel would get taken down from, from YouTube mm. by now. That was really kind of my secret little goal was to put this channel up, make it as edgy as, as I can, and eventually get it taken down by YouTube because it's just too inappropriate. And then there'll be a Patreon channel back up and that's, people can go there. Mm. That was my plan, but, but YouTube has basically done the opposite and supported me. Which is cool too, mm. you know. So, so I instead I'm I'm getting support from YouTube. So, um, if YouTube ever took it down, I, I, then I'd probably start making money because <laughs> everyone would probably pay what I'm charging ten dollars a month on Patreon, and then I'd probably start making money. But who knows? I'm just I'm just doing what I do. I'm learning every day I do this, you know, about myself and about other people and about society and the, our country and how humans work. And I love learning. Definitely. What um. What does the sheer size of your audience at this point oh, and, and say? So back, back to what oh, I was saying. Sorry, so, sorry, so yeah. uh, to answer your first question, I'll be quick. Um, it's, it's about prevention. Right. So if somebody has to pay the price, which always is going to have, there's always a trade-off. Somebody's going to have to pay a price if you're going to do an interview of a drug addict. Mm. It's the interviewee. The interviewee is paying the price. I pay them. I, can, I compensate them. I treat them with respect, but they are taking the hit because, look, here I am. I'm a drug addict. And it's, uh, it's humiliating or embarrassing, even though they're not particularly humiliated. They're, they're, they're proud of it, and they want to come back and do another one. Mm. But I understand how people say, oh, no, you, you, you made that person look bad because you show, you show them as a drug addict. But it's, it's not about them. It's about the, the, the thousands of young people who are being parented by people who are watching my channel or even the th young people that are watching my channel. My channel is pretty popular, so a lot of people are seeing it, and I'll bet you it's affecting somebody in terms of their decisions about using drugs or joining a gang or, or become a sex worker or all these things. So somebody has to pay the price for that awareness and understanding, and that's the drug addict or the, or the prostitute. Mm. Yeah. Sorry. No, for sure. Uh, your audience is gigantic. What do you think that says about you know, the fans, the world, the well, YouTube you know, audience? You know, it's interesting. Monica and I were speaking off camera about this. She's, she's a musician first, and then this help that she does with the Patrick Cady Foundation is just her little side hustle. She was saying everybody in the music industry is using. I've I'm heard. Like, really? Because I'm, I'm naive. I've, I've never smoked pot. Mm. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm the squarest square you'll ever see in terms of drugs. But um, I think the drugs are much more common, you know, because a lot of my channel is about drugs, it seems. I'm, I'm, it's ridiculous that I'm a, the head of this channel that has something to do with drugs, but it's, it's, it's really not about drugs. It's about humans. You know, I just, I, I like learning about humans. So that's really what I want to do it. But drugs seem to be super popular across our country. Mm. And, uh, like the, the most popular video I posted, uh, in the last six months is of, uh, Matthew, who's a functional heroin addict. So it's got that, two yeah. and a half, two, two and a half million views. I didn't, I, I didn't think that video would get 50,000 views. It's got two and a half million. <laughs> and the reason for that is because there's a lot of people who are functioning and using. Right. I believe. Yeah, I have a friend who... Because uh, it's not, I mean, he's not particularly charismatic or interesting. He's just a, he's a nice dude who uses heroin. I think that functional word was the whole thing. Because I remember when I first met somebody from the Northwest when I first moved to L.A. And he just told me, like, yeah, my mom and dad, they, they do uh, crystal meth. They go to work. It's like fucking cup of coffee to you. It's like they do meth all day. And I remember being so shocked because I just didn't realize that there were 
people who had functional relationships with that kind of stuff. But now that seems incredibly obvious to me. Like, yeah, of course, like they, everybody who does heroin or crystal meth can't be out on the streets robbing people. You know, there's got to be people with workable relationships with these drugs. Yeah, no. And I'd, li- I'd like to do more of them. Yeah. But it's hard to find people that want to talk about it when they've got a nine to five and they don't want to lose their job. Mm. Oh, you're a heroin addict? You're fired. You know, so there's that. Yeah. and But there are people who, who, are, who can get around that somehow. Yeah. And, that, that, and that's the ones I'll interview. <laughs> but and what I think interesting, because, like, I get drawn to a lot of the gang stuff that you do just because I feel like that's kind of the stuff that's the closest. What, what is your background? I mean, you, you, what do you... I'm waiting how, for how'd my soft white underbelly interview. <laughs> no, how, just really quickly, how'd you get into this? Um, so in 2006, I started, like, the first BMX blog website, basically, uh, when I was living in New York City. I've been riding BMX bikes since I was 12. I basically did that from like 2006 to around 2016. That was all I did was run this blog. At Over time, it kind of became more like, oh, I'm a podcaster. I started interviewing all these pro BMX riders and, and stuff. And it took off. Within the first year, I interviewed a couple of underground rappers, and they just those interviews did so many more views oh. than the BMX riders I was interviewing, which gave me a little bit more confidence because I've been like a lifelong like hip-hop addict, and that was always the number one thing that I was a fan of. All of a sudden, I started to realize for the first time in my life, like, oh, there are people in this world who give a fuck about what I have to say. And I was very lucky because I was sort of there for the early era of the SoundCloud era. So there's a rapper, XXXTentacion, who you might have heard of, who passed away a couple of years ago. And his interview is by far my biggest interview. I think it was like 14 million views or oh, something wow, like really? that. And that that one was the one where all of a sudden it became like, oh, now everybody knows about you. And that that kind of took it to a totally different level and now i just try to interview whoever i find interesting yeah but you're very good oh thank you i I like your style of like just making like joe rogan's really great too Mm. like the way he makes conversation happen is just like it's it's perfect it's beautiful yeah there's so many different interview styles styles yeah what have you learned about interviewing i know that your style is kind of get out of the way yeah but i I don't i don't really see myself as an interviewee Mm. i I, or interviewer I, i see myself as just a photographer who's just trying to get their story Mm. So my ideal scenario, what I'm aiming for is like the Johnny or the Eric or the Lewis videos that I mentioned, which is just a photo and them telling their story. Mm. It's perfect for me. That's, yeah. that's the formula. But that doesn't work in 99, 95% of the cases. So I need to coax it out. But the, the, the fewer words I can say, the better. Now, every once in a while, I'll interview somebody who we just click with and we have conversations off camera that are great. So I'll actually have a conversation with them. Mm on camera but everyone complains when i do that so so i should probably not do that but but i still do it sometimes that's interesting yeah um because one thing that stands out to me about your your stuff is that you know photography i guess in a lot of ways is like bigger than ever since everybody can take a photo and obviously there's you know if you're a, a great photographer there's tons of commercial opportunities there's tons of brands that need high quality photo work all the time but Photos don't go viral that often these days in right. comparison to video. And that's what I find so fascinating about yours is that if I was a photographer who was just looking for a way, like, how do I make my photos get out there more? I would probably land on something like what you're doing. Oh, I'll do this YouTube content and oh. then I'll have the photos as the thumbnail and inserted inside the video. Well, I'm not selling my photos. You know, I'm not, right. But I'm if not, you just not. wanted people to see them then oh. I feel like the YouTube videos are the perfect vehicle to get more people. So if I, the goal is just for people to see the photos, the YouTube videos are no, perfect. See, that, that, that thought never even entered my mind. Really? All I'm trying to do is inform society about each other. Mm. That's, that's all I'm thinking about. 
Definitely. Like when a prostitute comes out and tells you how she got to where she is, how she, her boyfriend at, at 15 years old turned out to be her pimp and she didn't know it and, and, and how she was molested when she was six years old and how sex became a part of her life at a very young age. That is a story that should be told. Mm. You know, it's, you know it's gonna happen again and again. Listen, listen to the 300 sex worker videos on my channel. Every girl has almost the same story. Yeah. You know, and I guarantee it's happening right now somewhere. For sure. That shit is a constant over and over and over reminder of how fucking careful you need to be with your kids. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really, it's, it's the reason for my channel is, is like, like if, if you love yourself, you're, you're going to treat others differently. You're not going to be molesting your kids if you, if you love yourself, right? Mm. So clearly we don't love ourselves enough. How do you love yourself? Is it religion? For a lot of people, it's religion. I'm not religious, so I don't get religion as, as the way, but my, I was parented really well. Not perfectly, but, you know, on a scale from 1 to 10, I would say you know, I was parented like a 9.5. Mm. So I didn't have this traumatic, terrible childhood with my parents. So I've, I've never had these kind of like weird sexual things with anybody, right? You know, my relationships have all been pretty cool with everyone I've had a relationship with. So I, I don't really have enemies. I don't have people that hate me other than <laughs> on this YouTube channel. They don't really hate me. What the, what's really going on there is they hate themselves or they hate what I'm, my channel represents, and that's, that's not me. But we just need to, as a society, be healthier, be happier. Because if you're happy, you're not going to fuck with anybody. You're not going to do anything to a young kid. Yeah, I was wondering how you were going to humanize this this guy. I forget his name that you interviewed, and it just said rapist in the title. Yeah. And I was, you know, wondering, like, how do you do that interview before I even clicked on it? Like, how do you do that interview and not seem like you're giving him space to justify his actions? I was just immediately interested, too, because it's like, is he just admitting that he's a rapist off, off rip, which he did? But yeah. before I even got into that, he was talking about how his earliest memories of sex and relationships or, or just love were based around his family members raping him. Right. And it's like that just immediately forces you into this mind state where even the most judgmental person can't help but understand that this guy is a product of his circumstances and that doesn't like absolve him for all the shit he's done. But it's impossible to remove a person from trying to understand their uh, their their upbringing. Yeah, I mean, like if you're watching my channel and you're, and you're judging or hating somebody, like, like James the rapist or, or a sex offender, for example, you know, it's the ones who molest young kids. If you're judging or hating them, you're not learning. Mm. Your mind is in a different, you're using a different part of your brain. And what I want to do is, is get a, help everyone learn. So if your mind is open, you're just listening to the story. Like there's a, a, a video that I didn't post on YouTube. I posted on Patreon last week. Richie, who's a sex offender. It was just too much for YouTube. So I didn't even post it there. But um, he talks about how he was molested by his uncle, who would take him to the zoo all the time. They never went to the zoo. Oof. And then his stepdad, his mom, like, or mom's boyfriend, or somebody came into the picture, and the same thing happened again. And I think it happened either other times, like camp counselors and all this kind of. It was an entire childhood full of being screwed with sexually. So sure enough, he's he's gone out and he's I think I forget how many kids, way too many kids that he's done this with, and he has. A ton of remorse but he says at the end of the video it's like i'm gonna do it again 
That guy I was just talking about, James. Yeah, and then by the end of the video, he's talking about raping his own mother. Yeah. And that that was the moment where I found myself. I noticed after a few minutes that my hands that were breaking up weed had frozen. My eyes, my jaws dropped, and I'd just been staring at the TV for like it's, three it's, minutes it's straight. It's interesting when I ask him. It was that intense. When I ask him, like, what, what, what did you just say? And he's like, well, I, I raped my mother. <laughs> like, he couldn't really say it. Yeah. He mumbled it, and he kind of, so you raped your mother? He goes, yeah. Yeah, he, even he had a lot of and shame he's squirming about around in his chair, and he just he could barely like live with himself enough to tell you that story. But for some reason, it was like he had to. Yeah. he had to let no, it mean, out. It's, it's, it's again mental health. I mean, there's something wrong with him mentally. Whether it's his family's fault, or maybe it's just the brain chemistry he was born with, or maybe I mean, all these serial killers and all that. I mean, is it because something terrible happened to them as kids, or is it just genetics, or is it? The water they're drinking, or what is it? Is it the cell phones? Is it the plastic? <laughs> like, I don't know what's going on, but there's something going on in the world that there's so many people shooting random people and raping so many kids. And, like, wh why are we all so violent and cruel? Do you feel like you are better equipped to answer that question now than when you started? I should be, right? That's a great question. I mean, yes, but I don't have the answer. Mm. I mean, like, like with all the sex, like I, I used to, like, like the, you see a stripper or a prostitute or whatever, and you like, I used to be much more judgmental. Mm. Now I never judge. Like I, I don't even, I think I've eradicated it from my personality now. Because I, I know now, after doing all these interviews, that there's something happened to you when you were young that, kind of set you on that path. So I'm not even going to think that what you're doing is bad or, or wrong or anything. Yeah. I'm just going to see it as you're, you found a way to support yourself. Good for you. Mm. And if you want something better, to, you know, maybe I can help you with that or maybe I can't or maybe whatever. You know, it's like, but all you can do is, is love and support. That's all you can do. Because if, if you're going to judge and say, no, you, what you're doing is fucked up. They're not going to stop doing it. They're going to dig their heels in deeper and just do it more with more shame. But the only way out is to build them up and, and, and give them dignity and respect and love and let them take a deep breath and, and hold their head up high and feel good about themselves. And when they do that, they're much more likely to make better decisions for themselves and maybe make decisions that might make them a little less money but make them happier. Yeah. You know? So, so I don't, I mean, it's, it's hard to, uh, to say, oh, I have all the answers now after doing all these interviews. I, I, I understand things better, but I still don't understand a lot, which yeah. is why I'm still hungry to do this. I, I, I look forward to doing these because I'm learning all the time. There's no type of interview that has grown stale to you? There, are there interviews that you did early on that maybe you would turn down now because you just don't find that person? Like, I feel no. like if I did a couple of clan interviews that I just wouldn't really be able to keep doing it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to do a whole bunch of them. I right. think I've, done, I've got one more in the can that I'll, I'll use, but I'm, I'm waiting for the right... Uh, I, I don't want to just put up a clan video. But I, the reason I went to Mississippi was to find the, the, the counterpoint to the clan interview, which is a cold-hearted Klansman it's it's an interesting video because there's even footage of uh, of their uh, ritual thing at the beginning. But uh, I wanted to find a, a, a an older, like a 90 year old. I interviewed a bunch of 90 year old uh, African American people in in oh, wow, 
that's good. The middle of Mississippi, hoping to find a racism story. There really would be a good counterpoint to that. Right. But the, the best I found, and she wasn't the, the most compelling storyteller, so I'm not going to use it, but I'll, I'm persistent. I'll, I'll probably keep trying. But I asked her about racism. She was 94 years old, I think. She was, tell, tell me, I mean, racism, must have, you must have seen a lot in your 94 years. Tell me what you've seen. Said, racism? I've, ne I've never seen racism. And this is a totally black community. Like, I mean, there you can count the white people on, on one hand, I think, that I saw while I was there for two days, three days, whatever. Um, I wonder you know, what I, you, I've never seen racism. I wonder what she would define racism and she as. Worked on, like, I think she worked on the cotton fields as a kid and all that. And I, she said, what, what is racism? I go, well, racism is where like, maybe people from one race might not like people from another race and treat them badly. And I had to explain to her what racism was. And she goes, yeah. No, when we worked in the fields, in the cotton fields, the, 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 the cotton, the plantation owners would treat the children of the black people a certain way. And she kind of got into it. And it was very clear that, yes, there was racism in her life that she experienced like harshly, right? But she didn't even see it as anything other than just that's the way life is. Right. She didn't see it like, hey, you're treating me unfairly. Like now, I think blacks are much more aware that, hey, you're treating me right. differently than you would treat a white person or whatever. So they're, they're much more on edge about it and, and it's a bigger deal with the black black lives matter and all that kind of stuff i mean her threshold for what she probably for what would have to happen for her to consider a racist would probably be incredibly high yeah i mean she just she didn't even know it was it existed but but that's a community it was so black that there was no tension between the whites and blacks there just wasn't anything the whites were basically they thought it was a cop everyone assumed i was a cop in that community because i was white wow because why would a white person be there there was no reason that must just be such an eye-opening learning experience for you, too, because I'm sure you could have never imagined that dynamic. Right, right. No, so that's what I'm saying. That's, I love to learn. Mm -hmm. and, and doing these interviews, I just keep learning. So eventually when I stop learning, like when I do the Klansman videos, I don't, I don't, interviews, I'm not really learning a whole lot. So I'm kind of, I did a handful of those, and I think I'm, I might, if somebody was really interesting, I'd do it, but probably, I, I probably won't go looking for more of those. Do you ever do a Klan interview and then look at the comments and realize a lot of people agree with them and did that? Yeah, yeah, I've seen some of that. And did yeah. that? bother you or make you think twice about no no because I'm not, I'm not i'm not assuming my entire audience has evolved and, and right and sees things the way i do like I, I i i work very hard and i i'm very successful at being non-judgmental yeah every once in a while i'll tell a prostitute a young prostitute like you know what you're doing is probably not good for your kid and it's not going to end well look at some of the other interviews you'll, you'll see that it's not going to end well and i'll talk her out of it but generally i just let them tell their story and and stand back so I'm really good at just standing back and letting people do their thing and say their piece and and say thanks for telling your story. Definitely. Um, is there any part of you when I was interviewing uh, Big U, from who's basically like the founder of the Rolling Sixties Crips out here, and mm -hmm. he's he's really transitioned into like making documentaries and doing all this stuff in the music industry and stuff. It's a really great story, but he's very much figured out that his name is so powerful and his. Um, you know, everything that he's been through in his life is so big that he constantly will have different documentary people wanting to work with him, trying to turn his ideas or, or stories that he's been a part of into documentaries, stuff like that. And when I was having that conversation with him, I was like, that's so interesting because I feel like, you know, a documentary is just one way that you could present a narrative, just the same way that a podcast is. Like this, this big you could have easily started a podcast. He could have easily 
not easily, but he could have created a TV show. There's so many different ways to tell a story in this day and age. It occurs to me that the the stories that you're telling, I could completely imagine a lot of those stories being sort of like interwoven into an, a, a documentary or a narrative. Oh, yeah. Is there anything that, that is that something that you think about? Is, is any of this content ever going to be repurposed for a bigger purpose? Uh, Eric is writing a book currently with his you know, life story, which, is, which would be great, right? Johnny should, but he's so high that I don't think that'll ever happen. Okay. The gang member. He's got right. great stories, and, and it would be, be a great movie. Or, but you don't or, automatically think, oh, I could do a, doc, a, a oh, documentary about this me, one person. Me, I'm thinking a soft white underbelly, like something like the... the like a, a, see, see I, I, my, my, the spirit of what I want to do is, is, is to learn. Mm. For me, and I think my audience likes to learn. That, that's 99.9% that's of what I'm doing. So if I was going to do a documentary about Chongo or, or about Johnny, for example, let's say Johnny, I'm going to stop learning while I do that. I'll mm. learn a little bit about Johnny and the gang life and all that, but I'm, I'm not learning like you know this. The, the interviews I did this morning, I learned from. The interviews I'll do up in San Francisco this week, I'll, I'll learn from. I'll learn a little bit every day, and I love I love what I've learned in the last, especially the last two years is when I've done this so hot and heavy. You know, like every day I've been doing it. I just learn, 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 and you know, just a little bit more every day. And it's like I just become like a a more well-rounded person by doing that. So I I, I don't think I'll put it down to go do something else, even if it, even it's gonna make money. Because I think what's at, at this point in my life, I'm I'm more interested in doing what's right than, than making money. Hmm. I'll make money when I sell the house, you know. So if I need money, I just I, I just sit on the beach until next summer when I sell the house, and then I'll have money. It's not about money. It's it's about. To me, it's about learning. Right, because you said earlier, that once you sell the house, things will be a little different. You're going to do different things. If somebody just dropped a million dollars on you right now, what would I do? What are you doing a little different with the channel? Like I would I would hire editors because I spend so much of my time editing. Oh really? I would hire researchers to help me find people, because I'm doing that as well. Editing takes up most of my day. Oh my Shooting, God. you could get somebody for fucking five bucks a day to edit for you, man. Yeah. I don't know. Are you, are you really picky with the editing? Yeah, I'm really anything? picky. Oh, okay. I'm a freak. Yeah. Not five bucks a day. That's not a living no, wage. I know what you but mean. <laughs> no, I, I know what you mean. No, I, I could, but I, I like doing it myself. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure I could hire somebody who's really great. Like, when I hire people, I pay them a lot. I don't pay them just a little. Mm. Like, people want to intern for me. I get emails every day from people who want to intern. They want to work for me for free. I love what you're doing. I want to work for free. I don't hire people for free. I pay them a lot. So if you're fucking amazing and worth what I'm going to pay you, then you're going to be maybe part of my team if I ever start making money. But I'm not going to hire somebody who just wants to work for free. Hmm. I don't need that. Yeah, you don't want to ever hire anyone who wants to work for free. No, and plus what I'm doing is so dangerous. Like, if you're going to work on set with me... Yeah. Like, like when I went to Memphis, the first pimp I interviewed, I ended up becoming really good friends with, and he just died recently, Dro, in an auto accident. But he, he told me, he's like, when we first saw you... You're a white guy in our neighborhood, man. We were just going to rob you. Yeah. But then you came walking up to us and told us what you're doing, and you're offering us money, and we're like, what the fuck? Let's not rob this guy yet. And then, then he and I became friends later, but he uh, initially was going to rob me. So if I had some intern out there who's, like, young and, mm. you know, naive, you know, because not everybody knows how to navigate those kind of situations well, mm. um, it can be... It can be a real problem and I don't want that liability of somebody you know he got stabbed or he got robbed or shot or killed or whatever because he was working with me right the liability is too much so I, I'd rather do this by myself 
hundred percent. Some of your more high profile interviews, like the Ron Jeremy thing or the Michael Franzese one, mm-hmm. uh, are those situations that happened in different uh, ways? Since I'm assuming you don't just like see Ron Jeremy walking down the street. No, or? no, and I'm, I'm not. I'm not into porn at all, so I'm not. I, I, I saw an interview with him, and he was an interesting cat, mm. and he's lived a very, very different lifestyle. And I just thought it would be funny and, and interesting, and let me just try it. And he's a charming guy. Mm. He's, he's friendly, charming. He's intelligent. You know, he had in, inter- interesting things to share. But it was it, that was just a, a little experiment that probably is not a direction I want to go in. Mm. So I don't, I don't think even if I'm had all the money to spend on this channel, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take it in that direction. I, I, li- I like people who aren't, aren't selling anything and ne- have never told their story. Like I get a lot of people coming to me that they've got, no, they got a little secret agenda. They want to mm. sell their music or they want to sell this or they're going to be famous or they want to start a podcast or they want to do this, that or the other. And the, I tend to steer away from those because I'd rather find a pimp who's never ever talked about mm. anything. Or, or, or a drug addict or a gang member or whatever. I mean, the gang members, here's, here's one thing I've learned. The people that don't want to tell me their story, that really just, uh, I, can't, I don't want to tell you. Those are the most interesting ones. Oh, yeah, those are the ones far. I want. Those are the ones I want. Yeah. Like, as soon as I find out, you know, when, when, somebody, when, some, when I go to a new city and, well, there's these four people and the, this one does, doesn't want to tell her story and like, get her. That's the one I want. Because that's the one who's got something really interesting to oh, share. A lot of the best conversations that I've had through this podcast have been the conversations that took place immediately after we stopped recording oh God, yeah. and the rapper just started telling me about how they used to run this drug empire and <laughs> right. they're, they're like literally like unplugging the mics like as if we're still recording and shit because they're so paranoid that somebody could be recording them right. and that is a weird one because on one hand of course I'm, I don't want you to say anything on camera that's going to get yeah, you, you in trouble I, you, your interviewees and mine overlap quite yeah a bit. probably like you've done you've done gang members and oh yeah but you know it's funny because when I watch your stuff, a lot of times when I interview someone who's in a gang or whatever, sometimes they'll, especially with the older guys, they'll be regretful about it. They'll have negative things to say about it. But then at the same time, a lot of dudes love the gang shit. They love it. They yeah. fucking love the culture of it. They love yeah. everything about it. Like, and a lot of times when I watch yours, I don't know if it's just the ones you use or if it's just um, the environment makes them want to present it differently. But they like very rarely are. are you know, presenting gangbanging in a positive way on your stuff. Is that intentional? No, I, I, I don't like not use the ones that support. Like if I had a gang member who came out and really thought it was awesome and it was great. Mm. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I would love that. Really? I would love that because it's not necessarily I'm not endorsing it, but it just shows you some like what I'd really love to get more of with the gangs. Because I've got Johnny t- 12 times, right? How many more Johnny interviews do I need? Even though he's still interesting. Um, but every once in a while, I'll find a gang member like what I'd love is, is to find a young, active one, a guy who's 17, 18, 19, and, and lives for it. Mm. It's his only option. That, that gives you a window into that subculture that, that we probably need to look at as a, as a society. Yeah, I could probably help you out. Um, although I wonder, just, you know, I feel like if you're 18 and really in it, gangbanging-wise... You don't want to talk about it. It's like the number one thing where... You're going to be really disincentivized to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that, that's the problem. Yeah. That's why I don't have more of them because they generally don't talk about it. Mm. Like I, I've met guys on the street who have uh, tattoos all over their face. and like, dude, I would love to talk to you. I can just tell by the, 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 the attitude and the look and the whole thing. And he's just like, oh, it's like you're, you're asking me to do something that I would never, ever do. Right. <laughs> so it's like, I get it. 
Yeah, some of the vlogs that we've done where we go to people's uh, neighborhoods have been like the the most shocking and like moving for me. Like even little things like we did one in Long Beach where we went to um, this rapper's like neighborhood and I just saw all these like, you know, 15, 16 year old kids just sort of hanging out in this alley and uh you know they're like 16 and i saw a gun poking out of one of theirs uh pocket like in the back of their you're shirt like you're as white as can be right yeah and i'm just hanging I, I had a couple guys with me and stuff i'm not worried but i'm i'm just like seeing like these dudes sit on the fucking corner these kids these are kids are 15 or 16 and if you ask them what they want to do with their life they'll tell you that they want to gangbang yeah that they want to be part of this and they want to represent this well right and they don't know anything else and i mean so that's, that's why i'd love to find shocking yeah. i'd love to get more of those kind of interviews and maybe i have to go to chicago for it or something but, but again mm. they sometimes don't want to talk yeah yeah it's, a, it's an interesting subculture but again as a small part of my audience likes that i'm not, I'm not going to like start becoming a gang channel mm. it's not my thing yeah understandable um yeah i mean it was a great conversation i really appreciate you coming in oh thanks no yeah. it's 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 nice to talk about it sometimes i never really talk about it i just do it really <laughs> so, yeah so i've done like three interviews now four okay that's dope, yeah. Oh, you know, I, I got to talk about this. Amanda. Yeah. I don't think I really understood how big your channel was until I saw... Nor did I. ...number one trending on Twitter. And I'm like, that many people are talking about an interview that he did? And granted, she did a bunch of interviews, but... Yeah. But, but she, she was just a little street girl that I thought was interesting, and I kept doing interviews with her, and she... I, I got friendly with her dad, and I said, man, what, your, Amanda's coming over here. She wants money all the time. What do I do? And it was very clear what she was doing to get money, yeah. which is super dangerous, right? Ten different ways. So I said, tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll have Amanda come to me every day, and I'll give her 40 bucks, and we'll do a quick little interview. Quick little, like, sometimes they were, like, two minutes or less. One minute. Sometimes more. But generally, she was so, so incoherent, just gibberish coming out of her mouth. Right nonsense mostly but, but but she's cute and she's a quirky personality and she was fun to watch um while she was deep into her into her crack addiction and so i'd give her the 40 bucks and she'd come back for more and i'd have to tell her how i couldn't give her any more because i'm just feeding her addiction at that point and it's like it, it, it was it was a tough it's, it's tough dealing with addicts but and she would have temper tantrums and all this kind of stuff it was, it was out of control and she'd like yell outside my studio you'd hear it in the, in the, in the background of other videos that was uh, other interviews i've done you'll hear amanda yelling mark you know because she just wants her money for more crack but she got clean miraculously through this woman lima who just came out of nowhere like an angel just came out of nowhere and helped her get clean yeah how involved did she have to get to help her get clean super involved like like she was talking to the courts every day, talking with the judge, talking with the district attorney, talking with whoever she needed to talk to, to make sure that Amanda stayed. And she she assaulted her dad right around the right before she met, right before Lima contacted me. And and Larry, uh, Amanda's dad, calls me and says, "What do I do, Mark? What do I do?" He and I talk a lot. Amanda just assaulted me, and the police are here, and they want to know if I want to press charges. I'm like, yeah. What, what do you got to lose? You, if you don't press charges, she's out in the street again and she's going to do something terrible like she always does. Why not put her in jail? It's not going to be so bad. Okay, I'm going to press charges. So he did. So she went to jail for like a week or two or three until her court date. And, and that's when Lima came into the picture and Lima decided she's going to help Amanda and make a long story short, she got the court to hold Amanda for two months 
which must have been terrible for a crack addict to be going through all that and just sitting there in a cell. But um, eventually her case got, the court decided that she's got to do one year of rehab or she's going to do five years in prison. And it's, it wasn't just a rehab where you could leave if you wanted to. It was, it was basically like a jail. I mean, it was super pleasant, a great rehab, great rehabs she went to. She went to two different ones, one in L.A., and it got too expensive because Lima and her husband were basically paying for all this rehab, well over $100,000 that she and her husband were paying because the GoFundMe really wasn't supported that much. And she found Amanda through your channel? She found Amanda through my channel. Wow. And she kind of just oversaw the entire process, Lima did. I give Lima all the credit for that. I mean, I did my part to get, you know make things happen, but... But Lima was like an angel that came in and just saved Amanda from, from herself. Wow. And she got clean, which was beautiful. The last interview I did, I think in April, she was just like talking with you. It was, it was like weird. It's like, that's the same person? Because I know you as a crackhead that's like so out of control. Right. It's, it's weird to see you speaking intelligently and having compassion for others and all, like all these skills that I'd never seen come out of this person. It was really a beautiful story. And then she dies. And do you know the circumstances that she died in? Uh, they're still doing the autopsy. They said it's going to take two or three months. So this was just May that it happened. You know, early May, I think. It was Mother's Day. Wow. It happened Mother's Day morning. She fell. She died in her sleep. Wow. And her, her dad told me that there's a history of aneurysms in the in his side, his side of the family. So maybe it's that. Lima suspects it had something to do with all the trauma that she went through. I mean, she would come and see my studio with like scrapes and beaten up, you know, like she'd get beaten up like weekly. Wow. All her teeth are gone, yeah. you know, scrapes on her head, bumps here, bleeding there. Is the one where she was wearing the overalls her first interview? That was the first one, yeah. And she's totally pretty and it's really kind of weird to hear her talking about doing all these drugs and stuff because she isn't really like showing the... Of the, the, the signs that you typically see that somebody's living on the street. See, the, the, everyone gives me a hard time because I made some comment, some joke, when she tells me that like, she made some like comment about all the crazy sexual things that she does with guys. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I, look, I'm a guy. I'm a guy. I'm, I'm not an angel. Everybody thinks I'm a saint and an angel. I'm just a dude with a camera. You know, I'm not a bad dude. But what I'm, did you say, though, that pissed people off? I, I think I said, you know, she... She does something crazy, sexual, whatever. And I'm like, so what are you doing later? <laughs> I'm a guy. I, I have a sense of humor. Yeah, I, mean, I, can't, I can't show it on, this, on these videos because I have to be straight. Mm. So I play the straight man, which is hard for me because I could, I could say some of the funniest stuff ever. Right. But I, I choose not to. So that, that's, that's my rule. And I follow rules. So if my rule is I don't make jokes with people, then I just don't. So, right. so I have to play the straight man. Sharp and I work really nicely together. Because he, he's so street and he's so so kind of he's got such a great persona right and he's so like charismatic and and I have to be the straight white guy yeah and it, it's a good dynamic it's like a it's like a comedy team do you think that the fact that you are such a sort of clean cut yeah. white guy that you like don't do drugs that you're not even on the spectrum of drug use like I feel like even me smoking weed maybe that would blur the line a little bit if I were to be doing the kind of interviews that you do. Uh, do you think it helps you in some way that yeah. you're kind of from a completely different yeah. world? Well, see, I, I treat everyone with respect and that's how I get into this pimp world. And that's why I'm, I'm accepted into, I treat everybody well, mm. basically, until they start just taking advantage of me, which happens. Once I start giving people support, then they start taking advantage of me and that, that's when I'll, I'll back off and that's the only problems I've ever had. But 
because I'm not tempted by drugs at all, I'm surrounded by them all the time. People are smoking crack right in front of me in my studio. People come, you know, I've seen everything, right? None of it tempts me. Mm. It's not even, there's not a chance in hell that I would ever use any of these things. So that gives me the ability to dive into that, commu- that, that world without any danger of like, becoming an addict. Because if, if you're going to smoke pot, you might smoke crystal meth on a weekend or something. And then the next, you know, so it, that, that, that could happen. Right. With me, I don't think it ever could. No, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm better than you. I'm not perfect. I, I have my vices too, you know, but, but they're not drugs. Yeah. With Amanda, um, what do you think it was, though, that made, that made people stand up? And or, Did she stand out to you as being the most popular person no, on your channel? No, at all. But then when she passed, were you just shocked by the number of people who were clearly affected yeah, by her yeah, story? Yeah, it was very surprising for me because I'm like, really, Amanda? Like, like, when her, like some of her videos kind of went semi-viral early on. They got like a couple million views. Like, wow, that was interesting. Hmm. Yeah. I didn't think anything of her. I just thought she was an interesting little street girl. And, but um, there's other people I think are a little more compelling than Amanda. But, you know, celebrity is almost like she became a celebrity. Celebrity is a weird thing. Like, mm. why do some of the people that become huge celebrities become celebrities? It's not because they're more intelligent or they're more talented or they're more anything. They're just, they got something that pushes the buttons of people and makes them connect with them or something. Mm. You know, and Amanda seemed to have something like that. It made a lot, and it was also a really sweet recovery. You know, everyone's rooting for everyone on my channel mm. to get happy and healthy. You know, that's that's the general spirit of my audience, which is really beautiful. So Amanda actually came through and did it, because very few do. You know, of the three thousand people I've interviewed, has been Alex, a white kid from Chicago, mm-hmm. who's clean from fentanyl now. I talked to him recently, and he goes, "Yeah, I'm clean. I'm craving like a motherfucker, but I'm clean." So he's done it on his own. You know, he went to a rehab in Chicago, and he, you know, he's he's doing it. But he, his family is supporting him tremendously, and I think he's still doing good. Jimmy, a little kid from uh, Florida, who I sent to uh, Colorado to go to rehab, and I'm helping him a little financially to to stay stick with it. And then um, Amanda, who was kind of forced into it by the by the courts. And that's about it. I mean, Rita's, you know, in housing, but, but it's it's hard to break free from the from the hold of these addictions. Mm. It's hard, man. It's got to be brutal. So I don't know. It's sad. I mean, so that's why the that's why I can do what I do and not get too discouraged and too bent out of shape over how traumatic and terrible and depressing it is. Because when somebody tells me a really depressing, terrible, horrible, tragic story. I go, this is going to prevent some, a lot of people from doing this. Mm. It's going to help some parents parent better. It's going to help some kids to not make the same decisions this person did. So I feel like that's good. The interviewee took the hit, but there's a world of people watching that are going to benefit from it. So mm. that's why I can do what I do without losing any sleep over it. I don't feel guilt over like exploiting a heroin addict when I know that I'm preventing probably thousands, maybe many more other people from becoming heroin addicts. Because if you watch 10 of my videos, you're, you're probably going to think really long and hard about tr- smoking crystal meth this weekend. Right. If you've watched 10 of your videos and somebody offers you crystal meth, it's like, shit, you might still fall for it. But, I mean, just having that that massive wall of content that you've consumed that's telling you the exact opposite has to 
It has to help. Yeah. That, that, that's why I do it. Yeah. That's why I can do it and not feel not a second of guilt over exploiting anybody. Because mm. no matter what you're doing, you're, you're going to end up pissing off somebody or you're going to upset somebody. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm not worried about that. And I, I even believe, I know that the interviewees would want people to hear their stories so they won't fall into the same traps that they did. They've told me that a thousand times. So mm. when, I'm on, when I'm okay with it and the interviewee's okay with it and everybody's still okay with it six months or a year later, then what's the problem? Mm. But somebody's still got a problem. <laughs> so yeah. people, that's the human nature. People you are you ever gonna, think about letting anybody do an interview anonymously, like blur out their face or something? Because you know, I've, I've done that. Some you know, shit there's might be two too of them crazy. with the oh, okay. two people that were uh, hitmen for the uh, Mexican mafia. Right. And those got the least views of. It. They're the probably two of the most interesting videos interviews on my channel, and they're the least watched. Wow. Because there's that, <laughs> you don't get to see the face. Interesting. I mean, that humanity means that much more to people. Yeah, they're seeing, I mean, I've had a lot of people come to me. It's like, I'll do an interview, but you got to blur my face. Yeah. And uh, I'm not going to do it. Makes sense. Yeah, I'm, I'm very visual. So it's, it's visual. That's but what I was thinking. I'm like, as soon as you blur the face, you're a photographer. That just must really, like, get in the way of yeah, your yeah, stated it really, it purpose, really does. you know? When I had to blur those two interviewees' faces, it's just like, oh, I hate doing this. Yeah. It ruins the whole visual. But. Makes sense. Yeah. I appreciate you, man. Yeah, man. You too. Thank you for coming on. You're doing a great thing. A real honor. Um, everybody, subscribe to Soft White Underbelly. No, thanks. And uh, yeah, much respect for what you're doing. No Jumper, coolest podcast in the world. Check us out on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes. Like, comment, subscribe. NoJumper.com if you want to support. Friday, we'll be streaming your music. Appreciate you, man. Thank you, Adam. For real. Okay.